My name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, today is a good day. It's a beautiful day. It's a daylight savings day. You got an extra hour of sleep. Hallelujah. If you have kids, they don't care. They still wake up. It's all amazing. I tried to tell them, sleep in. They said, no, thank you. Anyway, so we got some fun things happening. Today we're going to be in Exodus chapter 19 and 20. If you've got your Bibles, would you open them up there, please? Now, I want to start our time together by asking you this question. Have you ever been in a place or a season of your life where you're asking, now what? Relationship status just changed, now what? Job situation changed, now what? Financial situation changed, now what? Season of life changed, just got married, now what? Have you ever been in a season of your life where you're saying, now what? The reason I ask that is because life is constantly changing, one of the most amazing things about life, one of the most consistent things about life is that it's forever, it's ever evolving and changing. Our circumstances are changing, and this question that continues to rise to the surface of our hearts in the midst of uncertainty and unknowns is now what? Change always accompanies a sense of unknown, and we ask ourselves, now what? I've had a couple of now what moments in my life. I got married almost 10 years ago. And uh, I went from a guy who lived with seven other dudes in a house called the Studplex to a husband. There were a few changes. One of them is that when you live with dudes, especially single young guys who love to play sports, the TV just stays on ESPN. Football all weekend. We watch one episode, two episodes, three episodes of ESPN Sports Center just because we can't. We have no responsibilities. And then all of a sudden you get married and I walk into our living room and there's Pioneer Woman on. Some kind of cooking show. She's married to a cowboy. I don't know what's happening, you know? I'm like, do we not get sports channels? Oh no, those are too much. We don't even need those. What? Now what? Are you kidding me? This is different. This is a change. Had to figure out how to be a, a husband, how to be a loving husband. Then all of a sudden a few years later, after we walked down the aisle, we were at a delivery room. My wife was Having our first child, I remember bringing my first son home, Paxton, and uh, I changed his first dirty diaper, and he is screaming at the top of his lungs. Hadn't slept all night. He's hungry. He's tired. I'm trying to clean up a mess on him. He's yelling at me like I'm trying to slap him. I'm frustrated. He's frustrated, and I was like, now what? Parents, have you had that moment? You're looking at him like this. This is going to change things in my life. Amen? Probably not going to sleep the same for a few years. Now what? If you're a new parent, you've known that moment where you go, okay, this is different. This is new. Now what? You know, my most significant now what moment uh, was actually in college. I was 18 years old. I was a freshman. And uh, a friend pulled me aside. And he had this little gospel track. And it wasn't pretty. It didn't have nice graphics. It looked a little weird. I'm pretty confident there was like a Holy Spirit dove on the cover. I don't even know. And yet uh, the Lord used that little gospel track to, to usher me into relationship with himself. And I remember, um, I'm not a crier, but I was just bawling in this living room as this guy shared with me what Christ had done for me, that he forgave me, that he loved me, and he wanted a relationship with me, that I would receive Christ by faith. Amazing news, amazing news. So I'm weeping as I see my need for Jesus and cry out, and I knew that prayer would change everything. But the next morning I woke up and I said, okay, now what? I, I believe in Jesus, but how do I walk with Jesus? 
I, I have faith in Jesus, but how do I live this thing called Christianity out? I mean, the first thing I did is I went to my car. I put K-Love on all the dials. I'm like, I'm a Christian now. I've got to listen to the radio station. Thank God for no legalism because I put my CDs back in. Anyway, so the Lord liberated me. I didn't know. So, but I have had some now what moments. I want to ask you, have you had those now what moments? Are you in the midst of those now what moments? And if you're not, I promise you that someday you soon will be because life changes and you'll find yourself in a situation where you're asking yourself, now what? My health changed. Now what? I'm a grandparent. Now what? My older parents got sick. Now what? Life is about asking this question, now what? It's about responding to what's in front of us, and what's in front of us is often changing. And so these are the very same questions that God's people in the book of Exodus is asking. They're asking themselves, now what? See, if you guys remember their story, they were slaves for some 400 years in Egypt. And God has just brought them out of everything that was familiar. The land that was familiar, the culture that was familiar, the food that was familiar, everything that was familiar to them has been left behind. They've been liberated from slavery. They walked through the Red Sea on dry ground. God spared them and saved them. And yet, there's this group of freed slaves who are wandering around the desert saying, now what? Can you imagine being in this place? You know you've been saved out of some things, but you don't know what you've been saved into. And you're asking yourself, now what? You got more questions than you got answers. Now what? I'm a new Christian. I don't know how to do this. Now what? They're asking themselves the now what question. And God is luckily going to show up at uh, Mount Sinai, and he's going to speak into some of these questions. I mean, here's my hope for us, church. I don't want to just run through Exodus 19 and 20 and show you how God spoke to his people thousands of years ago and give you a history lesson. No, 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 no. As I was preparing, preparing this and praying for this morning, my hope is that God would use his truths that are eternal to speak into our church and our congregation today. I just believe that some of you guys are asking the now what questions in your hearts. Who am I? How do I live? What does this look like? And I want the word of God to minister us today. And so let's jump in. Exodus chapter 19. I got three points. You're a good preacher. They tell you in school, you got to have three points. It's a bonus, not two. So three points. Our first point is this, our identity, God's people. Our identity, God's people. So let me jump in. Exodus chapter 19, verses 4 through 6. If, uh, let, me, let me go ahead and read this. It says this. You, your soul, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore on eagles' wings and brought you out to myself. Okay, church. Chapter 19, verse 4, here's what God's doing. He's speaking to a group of people who don't know who they are, and he says the most important thing you need to remember is who I am. Do you remember what I've done for you? Do you remember how you were slaves and I carried you out? you remember how you were a weak people? Not a strong people, not a mighty people, but I bore you on my eagle's wings. And he's saying, do you remember my power, my faithfulness, my love for you? Because... This stuff is not just theory. You've seen it demonstrated in the way that I destroyed Pharaoh and his armies and the way that I led you out and the way that I parted the Red Sea. So he's saying, I love the verse. He says, remember your eyes have seen this. Church, have you seen God do something amazing? Would you remember who he is? In the midst of so many uncertainties, you want to say, now what, now what, now what? God's saying, hey, don't forget, the God who's demonstrated his power on the cross is with you. Come on. That's who he is. Now he's going to remind his people of who he is and what he's done. And then he's going to turn his attention to me and you. He's going to remind us of who we are. He's going to remind us of who we are. He's going to give us a spirit and a sense of identity. Look, look, look at verse 5. He says this. Now, therefore, 
If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. Can you imagine, church, after 400 years in slavery, how did God's people see themselves? I'm a nobody. I'm the leftovers. I'm the forgotten ones. Who am I? I used to be a brick maker, but now there's no bricks to make. I used to be a slave, but now I'm free. I, I don't really know who we are. We're not a nation. We don't have land. We don't have an army. Who are we? I don't know. But God shows up, and he doesn't first instruct them on how to live in the midst of changing circumstances. He shows up, and the first thing he gives them is a spirit of identity. He says, this is who you are. You're my treasured possession. I love in verse 5, he says, I own all the earth. All the earth is mine. Do you know God owns everything that is seen and unseen. He created all peoples. There's nothing that is seen or unseen that is not his. And he says, I'm not lacking for possessions, but in the midst of all of it, the thing that I treasure above all else is not the rivers, is not the oceans, is not the gold and the dirt or the stars in the sky. The thing that I treasure above all things is my redeemed people. It's you. You're not a nobody. You're my treasured possession. Amazing church. He's saying, I want you to understand who you are. You are the thing that I delight in. You are the thing that I love. You are the one that I turn my attention and my affections to. Do you know that God in the Old Testament is turning to a group of slaves and nobodies and saying, you are my treasured possession. Above everything else, you're the thing that I value the most. And in the New Testament, God says that about his church, his redeemed people. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, he uses very similar languages. I think we have it up on the screen. He says this, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own or God's own possession. Life's chaotic. Life's crazy. You're asking yourself, now what? Things are changing. Now what? I'm about to become a spouse. Now what? I'm about to become a parent. Now what? I'm about to become a grandparent. Now what? I'm getting sick and ill. Now what? But God, before he answers the now what question, He's so gracious to settle us down and remind us who we are because out of who we are flows all of our other activities and instructions. We need to know who we are. Think about this, this way. One of the ways I've seen this play out in my life is I have a son. He's four years old. His name's Paxton. I talk about him all the time because I love to talk about him, mostly because I like to talk about his sin. But today I'm not going to do that. Anyways. (laughs) Um, But, uh, you know, when I put my son to bed, we have the same routine. If you're a parent, you know you mess with that routine. It messes up your life. And so you stick to that routine, okay? It's like clockwork. We brush the teeth, we go to bed, we read the book, we say our prayers, and then I ask Paxton the same questions every single night. I kneel down, get next to his bed, and I said, Paxton, who are you? And Paxton says, I'm your son. And then I say, who am I? And Paxton says, you're my daddy. And I said, how does the daddy feel about the son? And he says, he loves him. Daddy loves me. And then I said, how much does daddy love you? Does he love you this much? This much? He says, oh, no, no, no. Daddy loves me this much. And I said, that's right. Daddy loves you this much, son. You know why? Why? Because you're my son and I love you. See, my son doesn't know a lot. He doesn't know how to live. He doesn't know the rules. He doesn't understand the speed limit. He doesn't doesn't know a lot of things. Well, his dad doesn't know the speed limit. Anyways, it's (laughs) generational sin. We'll get to that as we grow older. But you know what my son does know is he knows who he is, church. He knows he's a son. 
He knows that his daddy looks at him with affection in his eyes. He doesn't know what to do or what's ahead of him, but he knows who he is. And God is such a gracious gift giver that before he gives you instructions on how to live your life, he gives you a spirit of identity. He gives you security in what he says about you. This happens in the gospel. Jesus comes along and he does the same thing for us, his people. He says, you're a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old is gone and the new has come. Would you embrace who you are? You're no longer a slave to sin. You're my son and daughter, and you cry out in the spirit, Abba, Father. You're no longer just some rejected people. You're my chosen people who I've delighted. And God hasn't just redeemed you out of slavery and into his chosen people in the Old Testament. He's chosen to adopt you into his chosen people, the church, which he loves and he delights in. That's amazing. And let me just press this in. Because City Light, if you don't understand who you are, you will always be reaching for something to identify yourself with. You're going to have an identity. The question is, are you going to let the world and the people around you give you a sense of identity, or are you going to let God and his spoken word give you identity? You're going to build your worth, your identity, and your value on something, and God is so gracious to say, this is the one true identity that you won't lose at the grave. You're a college athlete. In a thousand years, you won't be that. You're Westo, you're Midtown, you're a Democrat, you're a Republican, you're rich, you're poor, you're the doctor or the high school dropout, you're the addict or the accountant, you're there a somebody or a nobody. We latch on to all of these identities and we wear them like badges all the while they're smaller, shallower, temporary. God has spoken identity to his people. He said, listen, instead of being an insecure people trying to find identity in the world, would you find your sense of identity and how the Father feels about you as his children? God is so good to save us and to give us an identity that is secure in our relationship with him. That's awesome, amen? Can I tell you that's awesome? As an insecure kid who was trying to be a somebody, oh, I'm going to make the basketball team, that's going to be my identity. I'm going to marry this kind of girl, and that's going to be my identity. I'm going to live in this part of the the city, and that's going to be my identity. Then I'll finally be a somebody. And God says, stop playing that dumb game. It never ends. Would you rest in what I've said about you? Otherwise, you're going to be enslaved to a fake identity. The only identity that liberates is the identity that we receive from God. All other false identities enslave us. Church, amazing, amazing. He speaks to a people who don't deserve and he gives them a spirit of identity. We're his people. All right, number two I want to talk about. uh, The second thing is our instruction, God's law. God's law. Okay, so now you guys remember, these are God's people. They were asking themselves the now what question because they've never governed themselves. They don't understand uh, how to have a culture. They don't understand what to eat. They don't understand how to love each other. They don't know how to relate to one another. They don't understand how to worship to the God who saved them. They're asking themselves the question of now what? They need more than just an opportunity to believe in God. They need to understand how to live for God, live with God. They're asking themselves the now what question. And God begins to instruct his people through his laws and through his commands And so we're going to see that in Exodus chapter 20. And uh, you know we can't preach through the book of Exodus, church. We cannot preach through the book of Exodus without reading the Ten Commandments. Now, I grew up kind of in an unchurched home, unreligious background. (laughs) But every year we watch the Ten Commandments, okay? Did anybody else watch that movie? Moses' hair is nice and flowing as he walks down the mountain with the Ten Commandments. You're like, dude, that robe is sick. And how did his hair get like that, you know? 
So, so that, that was my impression. And so we got to go to God's word and say, Lord, would your word speak today? We love your word. We don't want to just brush over the Ten Commandments because they're old and relegated. You know what Jesus said? That out of the mouth, or out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth will speak. Do you know that's Jesus? That's God right here. Out of the overflow of his heart is God speaking his words and speaking his laws to his people. And so let's, let's read the word of God today. Join me, Exodus chapter 20. We're going to read 17 verses out loud. Some of y'all don't know the Ten Commandments. We need to read these Ten Commandments and get to know the Ten Commandments, okay? Some people are like, yes, put the Ten Commandments back in the school. We need to do it. Okay, just relax. Everybody relax. Let's just read the Bible. Take a deep breath. Okay. (laughs) I'm going to get an email. That's all right. Okay. (laughs) I don't check them. All right, God spoke. God spoke. (laughs) All these words saying... I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water underneath the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I am the Lord your God and a jealous God. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commands. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall, you shall not do any work. You, your sons or your daughters, your male servants, your female servants, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not cover your neighbor's wife or his male servants or his female servants or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. This is the reading of God's spoken, beautiful, holy word. You know what's so amazing about the law is within any law, you see evidence of the lawgiver and the lawmaker. This is God being the ultimate lawmaker. And in his law, you see evidence of who he is as a lawgiver and as a lawmaker. You see evidence of who God's character and nature is. You know, this is true. With any law, even in the United States, you see evidence of the heart and the value of those who help shape and form the laws. So when you drive by a parking stall or you walk by a parking stall, that is handicap accessible and it's reserved for those who have disabilities, there was a lawmaker at some point in time that said, I want to include the weak and the broken and the hurting and the sick, and I want them to have a unique space in our community so they can continue to participate in the rhythms of our society. Some lawmaker had a value that said, we're not going to put sick people on the fringes of our society, but we're going to create space for them to thrive in our society. Some lawmaker made that decision in the same way. When you read God's law, do you not see his heart, his justice, how, how easy his yoke is? These are slaves. 
who works seven days a week, and he said, no, 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 no. Would you rest? Would you be like me? I want to give you a rest. You shall not murder. You shall not lie. Why? Because those things are out of line with my character. I'm not that kind of a God. I don't do those things, and thus my people should not do those things. We see a picture of our loving, just, holy, righteous, sovereign God through his word. There's a picture in his law of the lawmaker. Don't miss it. But there's more going on here. There's more than just a picture going on here. There's more than just a picture being painted. God is actually instructing his people on how he's going to call them to live. Did you guys know that there's more than just the Ten Commandments? If you keep reading from Exodus chapter 20, there's literally chapters after chapters after chapters of more of God's law. In total, 600 plus laws and commands God gives his people. He is a gracious and good gift giver, and he loves to give his people the law. And it's amazing. Do you guys want to know the Israelites, God's people, get a bad reputation for forgetting God. You guys have heard this. How could they complain? God freed them. Look at the Israelites. They're so quick to be complainers and grumblers against the Lord. But let me tell you, they get a bad reputation, but they might be outpacing our church and us in some areas. And I want to show you, when they hear the word of God spoken, when they see his law given to them, they do not grumble about it. Look at how they respond. Exodus chapter 24, verse 3. Turn your Bibles, a couple pages. Here's what they say. Moses came and told the people all the words, the Lord, all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And all the people answered with one voice and said, can you imagine this? All the people answered with one voice and shouted out loud, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. We will do. We will be a people who obey the God who saved us. Not so that we can be accepted by God, but because we have been accepted by God. We will be a people who desire obedience and not simply settle for rebellion. Do you know in Psalm 19, there's an entire psalm written about how God's people delighted in his law. How I love your law. How he instructed my ways. How it pointed me to the character and nature of my God. It's an amazing, good, and gracious gift. When you're asking, God, how do I live? God, how do I love others? His law is an amazing gift because it instructs the ways that which we're supposed to live that result in Jesus's high, highest glory and our highest joy. So let me just pause and let me ask you, what is your posture towards the laws of God? What is your posture towards his rules and his commands? And the reason I want to ask this question is because I've realized it's entirely possible for us to say, Jesus, I want you to be my savior, but I just don't want you to be the leader and Lord of my life. See, Jesus, it sounds something like this. Jesus, here's what I believe. I believe you went to the cross, and I'm so thankful that you forgave me for my sins, and I'm thankful for the grace that you've made possible. God, thank you so much. And you know what? Even thank you for some of these suggested rules that you've given me. I'm going to consider taking them under evaluation, and I might apply a few of them to my life. I, thank you, God, for making these suggested commands. You know, I'll be sure to review them at some point. But here's the deal, God. You did an awesome work on the cross, but... <laughs> I went to Wayne State. I don't know if you knew that. And so I'm pretty confident I know how to run my life because I'm awesome. Just let that linger right there. God is like, yes, you are. I'm so sorry. I retract all of my laws. No. <laughs> Surprisingly, he doesn't say that. You know, and when we come to God with that posture, instead of saying, Jesus, would you instruct my life? Would you tell me how you want me to live? Would you tell me what you want me to do? Instead, 
there's a question that begins to govern our life that is not biblical. It's the question that says, what do I want to do? And here's why this is a problem, because God is the lawmaker and the lawgiver, okay? And instead, what we want to do, which is always what we want to do in our pride, is we want to knock God off his throne, and we want to put ourselves up here and say, God, we are the lawmakers. We are the lawgivers. We are the king of our lives. We are the leader of our lives. God, you're not a good lawmaker. You obviously don't understand how life works in 2016. I'm pretty awesome. Why don't you let me call the shots, right? So the question becomes, what do I want to do? What do I want to do with my body? What's going to give me the greatest sense of pleasure in this moment? What do I want to do with my money? What's going to give me a sense of identity and control and power? What's going to convince people that I'm a somebody? What do I want to do with my time? Another six hour of Netflix? Why not? It's about to be freezing cold outside. Just press play. Let's hibernate. Yes, thank you for saying yes, because y'all know y'all do it. Netflix is in business because somebody's paying them, okay? You better watch the stock price. It goes up every year at this time. I don't know why. Hmm, because we're addicted to TV. Okay. Listen, what do we want to do with our lives? What do we want to do with our bodies? What do we want to watch? What do we want to allow our eyes to look at? What do we want to think about? What do we want to dwell on? Don't we become the leader of our lives and we say, it's all about me, me, me. I reserve the right to do me. Do you remember why Jesus, why God set his people free? Let my people go. Why? So you can do whatever you want in the desert. Let my people go so that they may worship me. There was a purpose and a plan to God liberating us from slavery. It wasn't so that you could be king, but so that he could be the rightful king in your life. Can I confess to you guys, I know what it's like. I know what it's like. I know what it's like to say, God, my ways are better than your ways. I know what it's like. I have convinced myself so many times that jumping over his law in order to get something that I think I need would be better for me than to obey his law. Have you ever made that decision? Nobody else has. Okay, great. Thank you. But you know what I've discovered is the thing that I thought I was doing is pursuing joy, but instead I got buyer's remorse. Because sin and disobedience always promises more than it's going to deliver. Listen, God says, you pursue sin because you're looking for life, but it only is going to produce death. Death in relationship, death in in your intimacy with God, death on the inside. You're going to lose your identity. You're not going to know who you are. You get disconnected from God. A lot of stuff starts to get messed up in your life. You're looking for a freedom in your disobedience, but you're only going to find slavery. How's it working out for you? So many moments I said, I'm going to be free if I just jump over God's law and his restrictions in my life. And man, it led to months and years of me trying to fight things that were going to enslave me because I didn't listen to God's warnings and God's laws, and I tried to do it my way. Church, I'm to just say, God is a gracious gift giver, and I want us to be a people who don't think that we're the lawmakers, but that we're humble enough to say, Man, I want to live for the one who created me and loved me and gave me his law. Listen, I've discovered the greatest freedom in life is not you being able to do whatever you want to do. (laughs) The greatest freedom in life is saying, God, I want to do whatever you've called me to do because you're the one who created me, you're the one who saved me, you're the one who loved me, and you're the one who is pursuing my highest joy and your highest glory. And those things don't go against each other. They go together. And so, Jesus, it's not about my will be done in my life. It's about your will be done in my life. That's the greatest freedom. You want a freedom? You need to get a freedom from yourself. You, 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 that's not going to produce life. You listening to yourself will not give you the very thing that you desire. 
The greatest freedom I need is, God, would you liberate me from the power of one? And would you say, God, I want to stand underneath your law and obey your word because you're God and I'm not. That's awesome. Can we be those people that say, Lord, I want to to invite your instruction in my life and I want to respond into obedience. Awesome. So God gives us his instruction. The final thing I want to say is God gives us, he, he points us to this, our failure and faith. Point three is this, our failure and faith, God's provision. So there's this final now what question that we have to wrestle with that surfaces in this text. And it surfaces when God's people receive God's law with gratitude. They say, remember, I'll do all that you've commanded, but then very soon they become law breakers. And we find ourselves in the same position of sin and guilt as the people of God do. And they're going to be answering, asking this question, God, now what? Now what do we do? We've blown it. We went too far. We overstepped your law. We became lawbreakers. Now what? How do we, as a sinful, broken people, live in relationship with a holy God? We're lawbreakers. He's the lawmaker. How do we work this tension out? And how do we live in relationship with that kind of God? Now what? Well, it all starts to get worked out. Let's go back to Exodus chapter 19. Exodus chapter 19, verses 5 through uh, 7. Here's what he says. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. Church, look at how this verse starts in verse 5. Now, therefore, if you will obey my voice and keep my covenant, to be in right relationship with God, obedience is required. Do you see the conditionality here? If you will obey my law, if you will keep my commands. What God doesn't do is say, hey, you know what? If you'll just try to be a little bit better than the pagan Egyptians, then you're going to be awesome and we're going to be good to go. You know what? If you just won't be as wild as your crazy Uncle Billy, who's still playing beer pong at 39, I mean, with the teenage kids out back, you know, if you, won't, if you can be a little bit better than him, dude, we're going to be good. I know your dad was a failure. If you'll be a little bit better than your dad, then we're going to be okay. But God doesn't lower his standard here. He doesn't minimize the demands of the law. He doesn't promise he's going to grade on a curve. He doesn't say, if you get at least like six out of ten right, you're going to make it through. He says, if you will obey my commands, then you'll be fine. The problem is, is there's 600 plus commands. And for there to be a relationship with a holy God, there has to be perfection. There cannot be sin. There cannot be disobedience. And there cannot be rebellion. And here's the problem we find. In just a few chapters, God's people are going to make for themselves a golden calf. They're going to worship a false God. And they are going to rebel in an epic fashion and so there's a problem we see in the book of exodus the problem is not with god's law god's law is holy and is pure and it is good and it is a good gift that came from the very mouth of god the problem is we are people unable to keep up our side of the deal god demands holiness and yet we are sinful god demands perfection and yet we're shown lacking god demands righteousness and yet we are rebellious there's a tension. So even in this passage, God is pointing us to Jesus, and the tension exists between a holy, law-giving God and a sinful, law-breaking people. Is that 
is finally going to be resolved on the cross. Because at the cross, we see that Jesus, the lawgiver, steps in and, and meets the full demands of the law. He is the one true one who will keep every law. He's the one who gave us the law. He's the one who keeps the law. And then he's the one who gives his life for me and you, the lawbreakers. He gives the law, he keeps the law, and he gives his life away for me and you, the lawbreakers. Listen, church, nobody should read the Ten Commandments and say, I'm awesome. Can I just define reality here? You should not look at the Ten Commandments and be like, okay, this is what God requires. I'm pretty, I'm pretty confident I can do it, you know? I'm going to just try hard. I'm going to clean up my life. I'm going to read some verses, memorize some things, put Caleb on, and I'm going to just rock it. But Jesus, Jesus didn't just say, okay. That, there was people thinking that that was the way, and he said, listen, have, you might not have murdered somebody, but if you ever hated them in your heart, then you've already committed murder against your brother. Okay you, didn't have, okay, you didn't have an affair. Way to go. You've been married a few decades. Awesome. Way to go. But listen, God's not impressed. Does he not know your heart? Have you lusted with your eyes? You've committed adultery in your heart. You've violated the law. Jesus even warned, there's this group of Pharisees that was awesome at keeping the law. And he said, if your righteousness does not surpass that of the Pharisees, there's no hope for you. People were looking around saying, well, then what hope do we have? And that's the hope that the law should do. The law is so good because it shows us that we are lacking and it ushers us into the gospel where we realize that Jesus has finally done for us what we could never do for ourselves. If you have to ask yourself, why did Jesus have to live a perfect life? Because me and you never could. And by faith in Christ Jesus, we're saying, God, I've failed to keep your law, but you kept your law. And so God, would Jesus, your obedience cover my disobedience? Would your righteousness be imparted to me because I'm unrighteous? God, I'm weak, but yet you have been strong. And so I call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ because he was the perfect lamb who obeyed the law fully, who met the demands fully. And by faith, not by works, we're made right with God. Galatians chapter 2, verse 16, he says, no one is justified by works of the law, but only through faith in Christ Jesus. I did some study this week, looked up the Greek word nobody. It means nobody. Nobody. Ho! I'm reading books today, y'all. Nobody. Listen, that means you might think you're awesome because you're a good parent, you're a good spouse, you're a great employee, and you're more moral than your neighbor. And I just want to say that's awesome, but it's not great enough. God doesn't need that. What God needs you to do is humble yourself and place your faith in Jesus Christ because he's the one who did perfectly for you what you are never going to do for yourself. That's the gospel. Church, the most offensive part of the Bible, which the Bible is incredibly offensive, by the way. You don't get into preaching if you want to be politically correct. The offensive part of the Bible is it insults your pride and it tells you, listen, your good works are never going to be enough. But it comes and ushers you into good news because it says, would you stop burdening yourselves? Because Christ has already done it for you. Awesome. Awesome. So all of this weight that you feel is relieved when you understand what Christ accomplished in his life, death, and resurrection for his people. Church, when you read the law, here's where I want you to apply this. When you read the Ten Commandments and you read the Old Testament law and you understand how they were supposed to make sacrifices and how they were supposed to live and how they were supposed to eat and all the areas that they were supposed to purify themselves, would you read the laws of God and say, yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus, you are the one that fulfilled every single one of these requirements because God, I, I don't do this and I can't do this, but Jesus, you've done it for me. Yes, would it be personal to you? 
Would you understand? Just knowing your story, you've broken that law. There's some stories, some moments in my life I'm saying, man, I have definitely overstepped the law. And I just look at Jesus and I said, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, because my hope is not in me. My hope is in you, and my heart is filled with gratitude because, God, you kept from me all that I could not keep for myself. Awesome. When you read the law, would you not walk around discouraged, but would you be filled with joy that Jesus has done it for you? And if you're in this place and you're not a Christian and you always just thought you were a good kid and you were fine, man, would the law humble you? And would you say today, Jesus, I don't need a righteousness of my own. I need a faith in you. No one is justified by the law. Would you come to faith in Christ? And would you, in your heart, just say, Jesus, I receive you. Jesus, I receive you. I needed your righteousness. You kept the law. I broke the law. And you fulfilled the demands of the law perfectly on my behalf. Would you pray in your heart today and come to know Christ? Let me, uh, today we're going to take communion. Just a moment, I'm going to pray. We're going to sing and worship. Before we do, we're going to take communion. Uh, as we take the bread and the juice, um, uh, what we're doing is we're remembering that Christ's body was broken for us. His blood was shed for us. He is the one who kept his side of the covenant. The covenant was conditional. If you obey, the promise is that we didn't obey, but he obeyed perfectly. And so we get to be a part of his covenant chosen people. That's the good news. So as you come forward, would you respond and receive the grace of God? As you come forward, would you uh, meditate and be thinking about Jesus? Thank you for dying and giving your life for a group of rule breakers like us. Also, um, just by way of instruction, we'll have communion stations up front. We'll have communion stations in the back. Uh, If you have a food allergy, we'll have a special station set up in the back for you. Also today, uh, we want to be a church that prays with one another. Uh, so when we get together, we're a family. And so I don't know what you're going through or what now what questions you're asking. But we're going to have a prayer team in the back. If you, if you feel like, man, I, I've been disobeying God's laws. I've been on the wrong side of this thing. I've overstepped him and made myself the Lord. Man, would you go to the back and pray and confess? If you're stuck somewhere in a now what situation, we want to pray with you. Would you go to the back? We're going to have a team of people who would love to pray with you today. And uh, let me pray. We'll take communion. So God, I pause right now and just remember, Jesus, how good you are. Your good and perfect gift. God, your law is beautiful. Your law is holy. And yet your law cannot produce a righteousness in us. And it, it convicts us of our sin and shows us that we've fallen short. And so God, we come to you as a people. We delight in the law because you instruct us in the ways to live. And yet we realize we can't keep it all. And so God... The song on our hearts right now is gratitude towards your son, Jesus Christ, who, God, you, you spoke the law and then you came and fulfilled the law because you realized that we never could. God, thank you. We love you. And God, I pray that we would leave this place today. We're going to be asking, now what? Who are we? And would your word continue to instruct us in the ways of truth and remind us of who we are and whose we are? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.